This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Megachurch pastor Andy Stanley is under fire for a clip that's gone viral on Twitter where it seems like he is going soft on the issue of homosexuality. And so we'll play that and I will give you my thoughts and analysis. And then we've got a former police officer, Jacob Kersey, who was fired from his job for his stance on sexuality in marriage, according to what God's word says. So this is a jam-packed episode that I know is going to encourage you. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use promo code Allie at checkout. GoodRanchers.com, promo code Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Tuesday. Had to think about that for a second as I typically do. Hope everyone is having a wonderful week so far. Okay, we're finally going to talk about this Andy Stanley controversy. You probably saw clips floating around a couple weeks ago on Twitter, people talking about something that he said about homosexuality and gay people within the church. If you didn't see that, don't worry, we'll play the clips and talk about the context and all of that. And then I will respond to it and tell you what I think. I'll give some background on Andy Andy Stanley too and why he's received some criticism, especially from the conservative camp. Uh, theologically over the past couple of years. So we'll get into all of that. And then I have a really um, interesting interview, as you heard at the top of the show, um, with someone who is going to be very clear about what the Bible says about marriage and sexuality and gender. But before we start all of that, I just wanted to read the caption of an Instagram post from our friends on The Cultist Show. I've had them on once? Have I had them on twice? If I haven't had them on twice, I need to have them on again. We talked about, okay, we've had them on twice. Okay, so we talked about the origins of Halloween and things like that. I just think they're really cool guys and really solid. You should go back and listen to those previous episodes. We'll link in the link them in the description of this podcast if you have it. And I just love how they approach each cultural and social issue. They're never dismissive. They're like me and that they believe that, you know, the so-called culture wars matter. They're actually a matter of uh, biblical proportions, um, but they are so fixated on, in the best way, the triumph of Jesus and Uh, the victory that we have in him that it just, whenever I read their words or listen to them, it just gives me a lot of hope and it reminds me of who wins. And this is in relation to the Sam Smith performance that we talked about yesterday. Go listen to that episode if you haven't. Already, we dive into that, what we should be concerned about, what we sh- which, what we should be less concerned about. And here's their take on it. I love how they say this. I won't read the entire caption, but I love the beginning of it. So they post a picture of Sam Smith, you know, dressed in his devil horns like Satan on the stage of the Grammys. And they said this, no amount of false worship of a defeated foe at the Grammys can reverse what Christ accomplished at the cross. Boom. 
These people in their idolatry seek to obtain what only people in Christ have, peace with God and the freedom from the weight of sin. Yet in their idolatry, they repress their knowledge of God and think that acceptance of sin is freedom from God. Willful ignorance cannot change reality. No no amount of plain pretend can stop the inevitable outcome of us all. We all die. They will also one day die because the wages of sin is death. Maybe I will read this whole thing. Their God, who is no God at all, will also face the same inevitable outcome. God with a little G. It is called the lake of fire, and he gives no hope for those who are enslaved to their sin. What took place at the Grammys was an act of rebellion, none of which scares God. Instead, he laughs and holds the nations in derision. He will crush them like a potsherd. I think that's how you pronounce that. We Christians must pray and reach those who are deceived into thinking the acceptance of sin is freedom from God with the gospel, for we will all meet our maker. We should neither be alarmed or threatened at this gross display of pretend worship. We should fear for their souls and preach Christ crucified for the light, the true light has come into the world and the darkness will never overcome him. Yes and amen. God is not scared. He is not anxious. He is not worried. He is not looking down and saying, how did it come to this? He is not confused about how we got here. He is not worried about the threat of darkness. Here's what Psalm 2 says, and that's what they're paraphrasing. Verse one, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And then we can go to Psalm 37, which if you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, you know, it's my favorite Psalm. And this is a good reminder for us as we see that gross display of evil and wickedness, just unabashed darkness. But even as we see also, and I think uh, a much more in a much more worrisome way, as we talked about yesterday, the false teachings that are much more effective in swaying people and even professing Christians into a place of darkness and deceit. Psalm 37, fret not yourself, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Aren't we all fretting ourselves because of evildoers? I am. I'm always fretting myself about people who are evil and wicked and who do harm, not just to, you know, potentially to me, but in the world to vulnerable people. Fret not yourself, God says, because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Instead, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And then I'm just reading some of some of them in just some of the verses. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees his day is coming. So we see that theme throughout scripture that the Lord is laughing at the wicked. Not in a jovial way, not because he thinks they're funny, but in a derisive way. 
You know, we talked about yesterday how so often Christians are so concerned with having an overly flowery, soft, nice tone, which is not always wrong. There is a place and a context and a time for for that. But I, I sometimes wonder if we if we read closely about the character of God who actually hates the wicked and hates wickedness and truly holds them in derision, that doesn't mean that he doesn't want them to come to repentance. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16 says, um, that he sent his only son to die for us. So of course, he desires that no one would perish, that everyone comes to repentance. But while we are in sin, we are an enemy of God. We are under the wrath of God. As we talked about yesterday, uh, Ephesians 2, we are under the authority of the prince of the power of the air. So it's a scary fate to be on the wrong side of God, to be on the wrong side of the creator. And that really does lead into what we are talking about today with Andy Stanley and this controversy, because what I fear is I will explain further is that Andy Stanley, and this is my opinion, this is my perspective, and this is based on all the context that I have read, watched, seen, listened. It is not my desire to be unfair to Andy Stanley, to decontextualize him. That doesn't help him. That doesn't help me. That doesn't help you. It is to bring my, what I think are valid and thoughtful concerns about the way that he sometimes talks about sin, particularly sin that involves identity and um, sexuality. My concern Concern based on what I have seen is that he does not take these sins seriously enough, that he does not see them as creating a chasm between people made in the image of God and their Savior, but that he actually sees it as something that is kind of just misunderstood and mistreated by the church, and that how the church sees these things as sin is really the problem and not the sin itself. So before I give any further explanation or analysis of that, I will play you, um, I'll play you this clip. That has been going around on Twitter. I don't. I can't play you the full segment of this sermon because it's ten minute, uh, ten minutes long. The sermon itself, of course, is longer than that, and it's actually not a sermon. It's a speech that he's giving at a pastors' conference that he gave um, about the middle of last year. And so he's talking to a room of pastors, and the context is is that he's talking about leading the next generation of Christians. And so he touches on this hot button issue of um, people who call themselves gay, identify as gay. And when I play this clip, I just want you to know I'm not trying to manipulate it. I'm not trying to leave context out of it to make it sound worse. I think this gives a full enough context um, for us to really get an accurate understanding of what he's saying. And then I'll fill in some color after we watch it and listen to it. So here it is. A gay person, when I say gay, men and women, okay? A gay person who still wants to attend church after the way the church has treated the gay community, I'm telling you, they have more faith than I do. They have more faith than a lot of you. A gay person who knows, you know what? I might not be accepted here, but I'm gonna try it anyway. Have you ever done that as a straight person? Do you, where do you go that you're not sure you're gonna be accepted and you go over and over and over and over? I know 1 Corinthians 6 and I know Leviticus and I know Romans 1. It's so interesting to talk about all that stuff, but just, oh my goodness, a gay man or woman who wants to worship their heavenly father who did not answer the cry of their heart when they were 12 and 13 and 14 and 15. God said no, and they still love God. 
We have some things to learn from a group of men and women who love Jesus that much and who wanna worship with us. And I know the verses, I know the clobber passages, right? So there's a lot that I have to say uh, about that particular clip and I'll get into my analysis in just a second. Let me pause and tell you about our first sponsor for the day and that is Range Leather. Absolutely love this family-owned company. They're out of Wyoming, uh, Laramie, Wyoming and they are uh, making all of their own leather goods. They started this company from their kitchen table and they make the most amazing leather products. I'm actually, I'll show you right now. I've got my range leather bag. If you're watching on YouTube, I carry it all the time. It's a really good size. It's just so sturdy too. I absolutely love it. It's so high quality. So these are Christians with our same values and they are making amazing stuff from their small business. They also make jewelry. They make belts. They make wallets. These are great gifts, by the way, and just a great way to support a family that shares the same values and principles that you you and I have. Uh, go to rangeleather.com, R-A-N-G-E, leather.com, rangeleather.com. You'll receive 15% off your first order when you do with coupon code Ally at checkout. So use code Ally at checkout at rangeleather.com for 15% off your first order. Check them out. You're absolutely going to love it. Rangeleather.com, code Ally. Okay, so let me just say, Like, I don't disagree with everything that he says there. I don't disagree with everything that he says there. I do believe that someone who is, and I will use different language because part of my issue is the language that he uses and what it seems to imply. Someone who is same-sex attracted, or say someone who just calls themselves gay or calls themselves lesbian, and they are not a believer, or maybe they were raised a Christian, but they spent a long time out of the church, but they feel some kind of pull. They feel some kind of hunger. They feel some kind of conviction and they want to go back to church. They want to try it out. They want to see what it's like, but they're scared because maybe they do have a past experience in the church where their struggle was not treated with compassion. It, they, they, as a person, um, were not treated with love and they weren't given um, the kind of care and the kind of counseling that they needed at the time. Maybe they only faced rejection. Maybe they only faced condemnation and they didn't get any of the love that is required to lead people to repentance. As we see in Romans 2, it is God's kindness that leads people to repentance. And so maybe they do just have a completely negative experience or maybe they were given all the love in the world, but they were told that it was a sin and they just disagreed with that. They walked away from the church. There are different kinds of experiences there. That person who who has struggled in that way or who believes that this is their identity. I do think it takes a measure of courage to walk into a church not knowing how people are going to treat you, not knowing if people are going to um, uh, befriend you, if people are going to be kind to you, uh, if people are going to be willing to allow you to sit in their congregation, either because of real experiences that you've had or because of some kind of portrayal that you've seen of Christians in the media that you believe or some kind of caricature that you've created in your head. Like, I do think that for that person, it takes an amount of bravery that maybe you or I would not necessarily have to muster. Now, I don't think that that is the only kind of person that might have to muster some courage. 
and some gumption to walk into a church. People of all different kinds of backgrounds with all different kinds of experiences might have a difficult time walking into church by themselves or even with another person for a variety of reasons. But I do think the person who either identifies actively as as gay or who thinks that they are transgender or the person who simply struggles with that kind of confusion, I do think that there is a level of courage and a level of of faith, although I want to be kind of careful with that word, um, like a level of hope, maybe that you or I in that specific context would not have to necessarily exercise. Like I think that we can say that. I think that we can probably empathize with that, that that's a different experience and maybe a, maybe a different feeling than you or I might have, depending on who you are, depending on what your struggle is. Again, that's not the only struggle that would require that kind of courage um, to walk into a church. So there, I understand what he's saying. My One of my issues with this is the language that he uses when he says a gay man or woman or a gay person, a person who, you know, asked God for different feelings and God didn't give them those different feelings. And then he kind of dismisses the passages about homosexuality. And, you know, he basically says we need to learn from their faith. They love God. To me, it is not clear either within this clip or from anything that I heard and saw in this talk that he gave, that he is talking about people who simply struggle with same-sex attraction, who are attracted to the other sex, but they understand what God's word says. And so they are resisting um, that behavior and they are walking in repentance. To me, it sounds very much like he believes that this is an identity that can coincide with um active and repentant Christianity. And that is an issue. And that is actually unloving according to scripture. And it's not just this clip that I'm using to deduce that. Um, There are several pastors who have spent time with Andy Stanley who have talked about their concerns online. Um, There was a pastor named Ryan Visconti. He is the lead pastor at Generation Church in Arizona. And um, he reported on an interaction that he had with Andy Stanley. He said September 19th, 2019. And he was with several pastors and he engaged with a Q&A, a private Q&A with Andy Stanley. There were other pastors who then corroborated Ryan's Uh, rendering of the events that night where basically I don't have to read you the entire thread. We can link it so you can read it for yourself. Um, But basically that Andy shared that he is affirming that he believes that homosexuality is some kind of disability, um, that it's a feeling that cannot be changed. And he said that maybe one day he would officiate a gay wedding if maybe he said if his granddaughter asked him someday to officiate a gay wedding, um, then he would. Now, this is this person's rendering of what happened. It's been corroborated by other pastors who are there, but this is one person saying what Andy Stanley said in this meeting of pastors. And there were several other people um, or the several other comments that Andy Stanley made that made this particular pastor and other pastors uncomfortable with his stance 
on homosexuality. And from what I see from this particular clip, I see something that is in opposition to what Christians who either used to identify as gay or who struggle with same-sex attraction um, have said is helpful and accurate when it comes to evangelizing to these people. I'm talking about Christopher Yuan. I'm talking about Beckett Cook. I'm talking about Rosaria Butterfield. All people who have done a lot of work in detaching your attraction, your sexual attraction from your identity. They have worked really hard to say, no, there's no such thing as um, a, a gay person as a matter of identity. There are people who are attracted to the same sex. But if you are a Christian, we are called to repent from what God calls dishonorable. And that is true for all of us. That is true for all of us. It's not just true for people who have those desires. It's true for all of us. And we understand that when we become a Christian, we become a new creation, that God isn't primarily calling people from gay to straight or from being confused about their gender to not being confused about their gender. He is calling them from darkness to light. He is calling them um, uh, from old to new. He is calling them from broken to whole. That's what the former drag queen that we talked to last week uh, emphasized for us. But all of that comes with time with repentance. And that is what Andy Stanley seems to be missing here and dismissing here. You can say some of the things that he said, and some of them might be valid and true, as I kind of um, already underlined. But for him to dismiss the repentance part, for him to dismiss the sin part, for him to imply that this is their identity, that the, it is possible to be an act of rebellion to the Lord with your identity and with your behavior and also be faithful to him at the same time. Look, that's not possible for any of us. It's not possible for any of us. And for us to dismiss what the Bible has to say about this is to put souls in peril. It is not loving. It is not Christ-like. It is not compassionate for us to belittle what the Bible calls sin, especially when it comes to sexual sin, because sexual sin is actually distinct. It's different because you are sinning against yourself. You're sinning against your own body, which is supposed to be as a Christian, a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean we don't mess up as Christians. That doesn't mean we don't mess up a million times as Christians. But our life is marked by Holy Spirit-empowered repentance. It is not marked by the celebration of a so-called identity or a sin that is in rebellion to his word. So I want to read you some of these clobber passages that Andy Stanley says it's fun to debate, but that he just kind of pushes to the side as he says that basically we just need to learn from those who identify as gay Christians because I am more concerned with and more interested in what the Bible has to say about this than what Andy Stanley or anyone else has to say about this. So he calls these clobber passages. He says that he's read 1 Corinthians 6, he's read Romans 1, but then he just kind of moves along as if they don't matter, as if they're not that significant. Romans 1, 24 through 27 says this, and this is harsh, like this is harsher than what I would say. It's certainly harsher than what Andy Stanley would say. But what do we say on this podcast so often? We can't outlove God. God is love. 1 John 4, 8 he is the source and the arbiter and the definer of it. He is the, he, 
encapsulates it. He is love. So I cannot outlove him by trying to change what he says or try to soften what he says. And here's what he says. The God who is love in Romans 1, he says, therefore God gave them up and the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. I know a lot of people have said, oh, the word homosexuality was added in in the 1940s, or this is not talking about homosexuality. This is talking about prostitution or pedophilia. No, no, this is very explicit and very clear. And this is just one example. And then we also have 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And, and here's the hope. Here's the hope. Like you want to be loving Andy Stanley. You want to reach this next generation. Like you want to reach those people who are scared to go to church. Here's the hope. Not that, hey, you know what? We're going to let you in. We're not going to talk about your sin because that's uncomfy. Here's the hope. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. That's a clobber passage. Andy Stanley says a clobber passage. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. You're saying that that is a passage that Christians maliciously use to bludgeon people who are gay? Are you seeing that the gospel is that? The gospel then is too harsh. The gospel is not an effective tool to evangelize. The gospel is not loving enough to reach people. Apparently we have to nuance it. Apparently we kind of have to dismiss it as something that is just a little bit too harsh. Really? Are you more loving than God? Do you know better than him? Are you more loving than Christ that you've got better news than the one that he delivers here? And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That is the message to those who claim to be homosexual, to those who claim to be transgender, to those who claim who are adulterers, to those who are drunkards, to those who are greedy, to those who are idolaters in any way. That is the most loving and most inclusive message that you can give to someone, the most hopeful message that you can give to someone, if you care, if you care, if you care about their soul, if you care about their heart, if you care about their body, if you care about them at all, then that is the message that we use. And as I've said many times before, but just to reiterate, it's not just those passages. It's not just the passages that say it's wrong. We can, you know, say, oh, you know, we don't want to look at those, which is the wrong way to look at the Bible. But we're not only looking at the Bible asking, well, what can, what does God say is wrong? Or what could we possibly get away with? How can we kind of finagle this to get around these verses? That's not how we read scripture. 
Christians don't read scripture saying, what can I get away with? But how can I glorify God the most? And so we don't just look at these so-called clobber passages, as Andy Stanley calls them, that says that these things are sin. But we also look at how God positively defines marriage and sexuality. And what we see, Andy Stanley would like this because he's an amazing communicator. And if he doesn't about face on this, he is uh, more than welcome to use this alliteration as long as he credits me. God's definition of gender and marriage and of holy sexuality, holy sexual relationships, according to scripture, five-part alliteration is number one, rooted in creation. Number two, reiterated throughout scripture. Number three, repeated by Jesus. Number four, representative of Christ in the church. And number five, therefore reflective of the gospel. Number one, rooted in creation. Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Genesis 1:27. Number two, reiterated throughout scripture, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord, your God is giving you Exodus 2012. That's just one example. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each a woman her own husband. First Corinthians 7 2. Again, those designations, distinctions are not arbitrary or accidental. They're very specific. This is also repeated by Jesus. Jesus says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Matthew 19, four through five. People say Jesus never mentioned sexuality. He's very clear. Number four, it is representative of Christ in the church. Ephesians 5, 22 verse tw- and verse 25 and 31 through 32 says this wives submit to your own husbands as to the lord husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this mystery is profound and i am saying that it refers to christ and the church wow that's a huge deal that's an eternal spiritual mystery that earthly marriage between a man and a woman reflects that cannot work between two women or two men according to this passage so therefore number five it is reflective of the gospel revelation nineteen seven. let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready that's Christ in the church. So, wow, the Bible starts with a marriage between Adam and Eve. It ends with a marriage between the lamb and his bride, Christ and the church. An earthly marriage between one man and one woman is a reflection of that eternal reality. It is a reflection of the gospel. So if we get this wrong, we get a lot wrong. We don't understand the gospel. We don't understand scripture. We don't understand what this whole story is about, honestly. And that is why when you see pastors, Christians start to compromise on this, they eventually start to compromise on everything else too. Now, this understanding of scripture from Andy Stanley is not all that surprising. Based on some past comments that he said, and we don't have time to get into All of it, all of the controversy that erupted a few years ago when it it seemed that it seemed that from some of the things that he was saying that he kind of questioned the sufficiency or the effectiveness of scripture when it comes to evangelism. So I'll explain a little bit of that in just one second, just to give even wider context to all of this. Um, Our next sponsor is Cozy Earth. I absolutely love Cozy Earth. I love their products. So this would be a great Valentine's gift guys or gals like 
Cozy Earth, they make amazing loungewear. They make amazingly soft sheets. We love our Cozy Earth sheets. They also have amazing towels. I mean, just high quality stuff. But I I think my favorite thing is probably their loungewear, their pajamas. Your girl loves to be comfortable. And Cozy Earth's Viscouse fabric is amazing. It's all temperature regulating. They've got stuff for men and women. Um, Just awesome stuff. And I can always tell when we have our Cozy Earth sheets on because they're so much more comfortable than any other sheets that we have. And right now you can save 35% on Cozy Earth bedding right now. Just go to CozyEarth.com slash Allie. Enter my promo code Allie at checkout. Save 35%. That's CozyEarth.com slash Allie and save 35%. That's CozyEarth.com slash Allie. All right, so I only have a couple minutes. I really wanted to get into this a little bit more, but I didn't, I spent more time on that, um, on the beginning part than I thought that I would. But uh, you might remember a few years ago, there was a controversy, I think it was in 2018, about Andy Stanley in one of his sermon series talking about unhitching theology from the Old Testament. He said, church, first century church leaders unhitched uh, the church from the worldview, value system, and regulations of the Jewish scriptures. Peter James James Paul elected to unhitch the Christian faith from their Jewish scriptures, and my friends, we must as well. Now, he he defended himself, and I think that it is totally worth it to say that he says that he is not saying that we should dismiss the Old Testament, and he's not saying that the Old Testament doesn't matter at all, and he's not saying that it has no authority, but that it just doesn't, I don't know, I guess that he was saying that it doesn't have the same authority. He said that you have to listen to the three-part series and get all the context, but a lot of pastors, a lot of theologians took issue with that, because obviously we don't dismiss the authority of the Old Testament, while we are not bound to the ceremonial laws that ancient Israel was because Jesus has become our cleansing and become our sacrifice and reconciliation to God. We don't dismiss um, the character of God, who God is, and the principles that can be gathered from the Old Testament. They don't have less authority for us as Christians. And so some people did start to question like his view of scripture and how he sees the infallibility and errancy of scripture. And then he wrote a book called Irresistible that quite a few people uh, took issue with because Basically, the point of the book is he um, talks about several times and he emphasizes in the like advertising videos of for this book um, is that we shouldn't say the Bible says we shouldn't say the Bible says because the Bible says is going to be an ineffective way to evangelize to people because he would say that other people don't believe that the Bible has authority. So if you said the Bible says something, then that person is just going to quickly dismiss it. But there is a way that we can live our lives and try to persuade people that is ultimately more effective than saying the Bible says. But a lot of people took issue with his book and how he seems to kind of undermine the authority of scripture and the uniqueness of the Bible compared to the uniqueness of of scriptures from other religions because he you know makes the comparison well if someone told you the quran says and you're not a muslim you're not going to care what the quran says but as john piper has pointed out in his repudiation of some of andy stanley's teachings the quran isn't the bible we believe that the bible is the inspired word of god we believe that it is the source of truth that it is the source of love and while i agree that going around and simply saying well the bible says the bible says this the bible says that isn't always the most effective 
uh, strategy necessarily when you're initiating conversation with someone. I also don't believe that my words are going to be more persuasive. Am I wiser and more persuasive than God? Do I have a message that's better than the gospel? Am I in my own power? Like, do I have the ability to come up with words that are more appealing than what God's inspired word says? I don't think so. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to try to build a relationship with someone or build a friendship with someone or, you know, show someone who Christ is through various words and actions. I think that's all true. But at the end of the day, the gospel must come from scripture. The gospel is found in God's word, and I am not going to find better words than what God has already said, what God has already ordained. And so I disagree, as many pastors disagree with this idea that the Bible doesn't simply, does uh, that the Bible does not have enough authority to change people's hearts and minds. I also think that that is a misunderstanding of salvation, of how God reaches people, of how God plants seeds in people. Actually, like the testimonies that I get from people on this show, they always have some kind of interaction or some kind of conversation. It seems like where someone actually talked about what scripture says to them. Someone actually tells them what God says or someone shares a book with them that includes scripture in it that really made them start thinking. Christopher Yuan, perfect example. I think he was maybe the second episode that I ever did. Um, He talks about laying in jail and you got to go listen to this interview and go read his books. And he looks up and he sees Jeremiah 29, 11 and he gets a Bible. He's in prison and he starts reading the Bible. And that's when he starts understanding what the gospel is. I mean, this was a person who was not a Christian. And yet God used his own word because, duh, to evangelize to him and to change his heart. That is the power of God's word. Our words don't have that same power. Yes, the Holy Spirit can use us in a variety of ways. But at the end of the day, the only time we are speaking totally infallible truth is when we are speaking God's word. So all of that to say, and gosh, I have so much more to say about that and so much that other wiser Christians have said about that. And so like much more context to give to that. But I just don't have time. But I did just want to give a little bit of context because it kind of makes sense. I think Andy Stanley, as I said, is an amazing communicator. He is so clear and so good, like so captivating and compelling. God has given him an incredible, an incredible gift. It seems like from my perspective that he believes that he can do a better job of reaching people than God can. That's what it seems like. Like he seems, it seems to me like he thinks God is actually too harsh and God is not a good enough communicator and God is not compelling enough that God's word really has to be changed and softened and and nuanced and just kind of um, tailored and pruned and, and cut away in order to be presented to people in a way that is effective. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think God is bigger and and way better than me and can do a way better job of changing people's hearts and minds than I ever could, as much as I love to communicate, by the way. Um, And he uses teachers and he uses teachings and he uses communication and tools and books and all of that. But at the end of the day, again, the only time where we know, can be confident that we are speaking total truth is when we are repeating God's word. God's word is enough. We can't out-love him. We can't out-justice him. We can't out-compassion him. We can't out-empathy him. Uh, We can't out-do him at all. He knows what he's doing. 
And he's always known what he is doing when it comes to changing hearts and minds. Speaking the truth in love means speaking God's word, never watering it down. That's actually the most hateful thing that we can do. It's actually self-serving and self-worshipping rather than worshipping the God of the universe who knows better. All right. There is someone who is very clear um, about this subject and there's a a price to pay, by the way, for being clear, especially on the subject of sexuality and gender. And our next guest, um, he was clear on it and then he got fired for it. So he has an amazing testimony, amazing story that I know um, is going to encourage you. So without further ado, here is our next guest, Jacob Kersey. Jacob, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I saw your story a couple weeks ago. I think I originally saw it in the Daily Signal. The headline says, a Georgia police officer resigns after being put on leave for Facebook post about traditional marriage. So what the heck happened? This is not happening in, you know, Pennsylvania or New York. This is happening in Georgia. What what went on? Right. Well, well, thank you, Allie, for having me on. And so January 2nd, I made a Facebook post, somewhat of a paraphrase of Ephesians 5, mm-hmm. where I stated, God designed marriage. Marriage refers to Christ and the church. That's why there's no such thing as homosexual marriage. Yeah. Um, I received a phone call from my direct supervisor the next day uh, telling me I would need to remove the post. Uh, it had received an anonymous complaint from someone that at the police department, um, and I would need to remove it. And I need to be reminded of separation of church and state. And I said, well, that, that would violate my, my, my values, my deeply held religious beliefs. I can't just remove the post. I won't remove the post. And he said, well, know that if you don't remove the post, it could lead to your termination. Um, so mm-hmm. I was informed I needed to contact my lieutenant. I called my lieutenant, and he told me that the reason they wanted me to remove the post is they were concerned about you know, liabilities and about my ability to perform my job as a police officer uh, after making statements like that. I said, well, if I do my job professionally, if I treat everyone with courtesy, fairness, and respect, I don't see why, you know, my deeply held Christian beliefs would raise concerns about me being able to do my job effectively. Right. He said, well, you know, we're all Christians here. Let me talk to the major. And, And so my major called me less than five minutes later and told me to turn in everything that belongs to the city the next day when I come in wow. to work. And so, well, when a police officer is normally told that, that means you're fired. Right. It means you're done. So I had the long, restless, sleepless night on, on January 3rd to wrestle with, did I really want to lose my job over this? Mm-hmm. So I go in on January 4th. I have a meeting with my command staff. Um, after I turned everything in, they, they told me, um, you know, well, we're going to give you kind of a second chance to remove the post. Um, when I refused, my chief equated what I said to using the N-word. Wow. Um, and told me that um, they were going to place me on administrative leave while they did an investigation. So I was placed on administrative leave. Um, about a week later, I was brought back in, told that I had violated no policies, no rules. I did nothing wrong. However, don't do it again. <laughs> I was told that they were going to create a new department policy that would – allow me to post Bible verses or scripture verbatim. However, if I give any interpretation, um, any opinion, or any explanation of scripture that someone somewhere considers offensive, that it I would be fired for it. And, and so I was left with 
you know, you can resign now, or if you come back to work, uh, you will be fired if you express these beliefs. And, and I resigned because, number one, I was given that ultimatum of you can resign now or be fired later. But but also, yeah. a police officer needs to know that the command staff has your back, especially with as dangerous as the job is. Mm-hmm. I needed to know that my command staff is going to have my back. And after my chief equated me to being a racist and <laughs> I was placed on administrative leave, led to um, believe I was being fired and told that if I come back, I, I would be fired if I said things like this again, I, I decided to resign because at the end of the day, my motive wasn't to go back to work. And I'm not posting these things to get fired. I'm posting these things because I sincerely believe them because that's what scripture teaches. And then I was told I, I can't express those beliefs outside of work and, and be a police officer. Wow. And I just want to reread what you what you wrote god designed marriage marriage refers to christ in the church which you're exactly right that's what the end of ephesians 5 clearly says that's why there is no such thing as homosexual marriage that's absolutely correct that is by the way what christians have believed for 2000 years that's what Jews believed before, not that it refers to Christ in the church, but that God made us male and female and that the creation account in Genesis 1 starts with a marriage. And Ephesians 5 is actually the perfect passage to make that point because we see very clearly that wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. That could not be more clear. So that doesn't work with two men. It doesn't work with two women. It only works in a male-female relationship. That is what marriage is. That's what Christians have believed for thousands of years. You didn't call anyone names in this. You didn't talk about any specific person as far as I can see. You didn't say that we should hate these people, that we should be mean to these people. You simply repeated literally what the Bible says about marriage. And this police department, which is outside of Savannah, I think you said, the Port Wentworth Police Department, said, oh, we're all Christians here, but this is too far. And the separation of church and state, this has nothing to do with church and state. You're not going around as a police officer trying to enforce this to people who live in Savannah, are you? Right. Yeah, absolutely not. You know, there there was never an incident where I was on a traffic stop trying to save someone after I gave them a speeding ticket. Right. right. It was never a domestic that I responded to where I was handing out gospel tracts. I was simply off duty expressing my Christian belief, which, by the way, if you go to my, my church's statement of faith on, on our website, you know, we'll, we'll, we say the same thing in churches all over the nation. This is what we clearly believe. It's not merely an interpretation of Scripture. It is a Christian mm-hmm. belief. It is very, very clear in Scripture that this is what's being taught. And, and, and so this idea that Christians cannot be trusted to be police officers because they have this, like, a devout belief is absolutely absurd. It's ridiculous. And we should not stand for it. And I must say it's not going to stop at a small town police department in Georgia. This is going to continue that same level of questioning. Well, we're concerned about your ability to perform your job fairly. And uh, What? Because yeah. I'm, I'm a Christian and have these deeply held Christian beliefs. You're going to question any Christian in any area of public service about the same thing. Well, well, do you believe this? And if you do, well, you can't work here because, you know, fairness, tolerance, it's it's ridiculous that we've gone this far and it's not going to stop in a small town in Georgia. It's going to continue. 
All right, let me pause and tell you guys about Eden Pure. They are having an amazing BOGO deal right now on their thunderstorm air purifiers. We have these air purifiers. You plug them right into the wall. It uses O3 technology to get rid of odors and bacteria and viruses, all that kind of stuff in your home. You can even travel with them. That's what I love about them. And this BOGO deal is amazing. You can go to EdenPureDeals.com. You can use discount code Allie. And so buy one, get one free. Amazing. It's this week only. Buy one, get one free. When you go to EdenPureDeals.com, use discount code Allie at checkout. Shipping is free. EdenPureDeals.com, code Allie. I understand why you resigned rather than making them follow you. I mean, you probably could have had a a lawsuit on First Amendment grounds if you had like made them fire you. But I mean, as you said, like your life is on the line in this job. And so trying to continue to protect and serve, knowing that the people in charge don't have your back, I mean, that puts you in a very physically vulnerable position. So I don't I don't blame you for resigning. Um, But I do wonder, like, has there been any backlash towards the police department like what's happened since then or has it just kind of been radio silence from them well i i know i believe it was this past monday that the police chief um actually abruptly retired Hmm. um he said to one of the local news stations it was a forced retirement however the city um has has not said that it was related to the incident in fact the city hasn't even recognized that this happened to me they've gone completely silent. Um, I don't know why the police chief was forced to retire. I personally believe it absolutely had to do with with my situation, what was said, because that was national news for a week before the police chief retired. And he said it wasn't in his plan to retire, that he was forced to retire. So I hope the city says something. You know, there's there's been a lot of um, backlash, I guess, towards the, the city and, and the police department and their decision. But there's also been backlash to me and my decision um, you know, whether I didn't do enough, I, I, I did too much. And, and I'll have to say this. We're in a spiritual war right now. Mm-hmm. We're in the midst of a spiritual war. The Grammys last night, perfect example of what's been happening. Before then, little Nas X with, with videos that he did dancing around as Satan w- w- with his music and then Sam Smith doing the same thing. Satan is deceiving people. He's lying to people. And it's infiltrating our churches. I, I was reading a 2014 study by the Pew Research Center said that the United Methodist Church, 60% said that the church should affirm LGBTQ plus. What? Yeah. What's happening to our churches? What's happening to American Christianity? It's being so watered down, so affected by the culture. We're not standing for God's word and God's truth. We've made Jesus into what is culturally acceptable, and we're not believing in the Jesus of the Bible. We're believing in an own made-up American version of Jesus. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Satan wants to dominate. And any time that the church remains silent on these issues, he's going to dominate. When we remain silent on sexuality, he's going to dominate. He's going to exercise his dominion in every area, and he's been doing that. He's been exercising his dominion in our schools, in our sports, in our entertainment. And he's going to exercise his dominion in the church. You're yeah. seeing what's happening to the Methodist church. It's happening yeah. in the Presbyterian church. It's happening in the Baptist church all across the nation. And when when Christians are told that if you speak out against these issues, that you're being hateful, 
that that is that is so false. I, I I do think that there are people who take it too far. You know, maybe like the image of someone standing on the street corner holding up a sign saying, "If you're doing these things, you're all going to hell." I, I think that's probably not a very wise, loving approach. But to merely say that, hey, just like Paul said, those that practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not loving to affirm people in sin that's going to mm-hmm. ultimately damn their soul to hell. Yeah. Yeah. And and Paul stated that, hey, I was formerly a blasphemer. I was formerly a persecutor of the church, but God in his mercy saved me from that. Paul wasn't shy about the sins that he struggled with. Mm-hmm. And, and Christians, we're not perfect. We don't claim to be problem free, but we know the one who offers redemption yeah. for our sin and for the problems we have. And that's that's what we have to point to. We have to point to Jesus and say, Jesus doesn't practice affirmational inclusion. He practices transformational inclusion. He Mm, wants to transform your life. And he did it for me and he'll do it for you. Yeah. I think that's so good. I think so many Christians think that like the full gospel is just that Jesus loves you. They won't tell the bad news before they tell the good news. And so the good news is, seems kind of irrelevant to people. The good news is that, yes, there is a gospel that Jesus died on the cross to save you. But the bad news is, is that you're not saved, that you need to be saved. And, if, you know, Ephesians 2 makes clear, as you said, that that was all of us at one point. Does it make me better than anyone else? It's just what it is. And I do think if more people were just clear about things like marriage, which the Bible is so clear on, this is not one of those, you know, compromisable wishy-washy subjects, maybe we wouldn't be where we are as a culture and, as you said, also like a church. Um, I, I think about people in, in different positions, but a similar position as you were, who are, they're like, they're listening to this and, you know, they admire you, but they're like, look, I can't lose my job. I can't do that. I'm not going to say this thing. I'm not going to stand up because I don't want to lose everything. It's not worth the sacrifice. Someone might be thinking, you know, like I'm a single mom with four kids. How am I, how am I going to do this? Like, what's your encouragement to Christians who face very real loss and sacrifice if they stand up for what they know is right? Because that can be, you know, it's a tough position for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my heart, my heart breaks for anyone who's in that situation where they're faced with losing everything. You know, I, I'm not a, a 15 year veteran of, of, of law enforcement with a, with a family and, and, and a mortgage payment and a car payment. I have very few financial obligations and, and I don't have a family. So I'm a single 19 year old male who I'm able to make this decision without it having a yeah. lot of effect on my financial situation. But I know there are people out there who, like you said, are faced with, with that. And, um, you know, I think very first and foremost, we have to pray and make sure our motives are right. Why, why do you want to stand for you? Do you really believe Jesus? Do you really believe his teaching? Do you really believe his commandments? Um, so make sure your motives are right. Make sure your heart is right first. You know, you don't want to be the person walking around with a log hanging out of your eye, right. trying to, to stand for something when, when others have specks in their eye. You know, you want to make sure your heart and your motives are right. But also, like, you look back in the first and second century Christians, the very first Christians with Emperor Nero, they were they were tortured, you know, eaten by dogs used as 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 uh, lampstands as they were uh, placed on 
above wooden piles and, and lit on fire. You know, they were beheaded. They were tortured. They were in prison. They were persecuted physically for their faith. And yet I think if we're not willing to stand for God at the workplace, how can we ever expect to stand for God at the chopping block? Mm-hmm. You know, we're not being called here in America to, to physically give our lives, at least not yet. We're just being called, well, hey, you might lose your job. You might lose Instagram followers. You might not have as many likes on your post. You might not be invited to as many nights out on the town as you once were. But you know what? You have Jesus. And that should be your joy. That should be your strength. That should be your hope. You have far more in Christ than you ever will have in this world. And so I would hope that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would have faith and boldness, boldness and love to stand for the truth of God's word wherever we're at, whether that's at the workplace, whether that is for some at the chopping block. Yeah. We do it because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and because he's transformed our lives. All right, last sponsor for the day, and that is Patriot Mobile. If you are tired of sending your money to companies that hate you, go ahead and make the switch to Patriot Mobile. It's America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, offers nationwide coverage on the best 4G and 5G networks. You get the same great service while supporting a company that fights to preserve our God-given rights and freedoms. They also have a performance guarantee, so if you're not happy with your coverage, you can always switch between the three major carriers for free. Their 100% U.S.-based customer service team makes switching really easy. Just go to patriotmobile.com com slash Allie, or you can call 878-PATRIOT. You'll get free activation with the offer code Allie. PatriotMobile.com slash Allie, or call 878-PATRIOT. And also, may the local church surround these people who, because they took a stand, um, are are having to endure immense sacrifice, especially if it means losing livelihood for themselves, for their families. That's also like, that's where the church comes in. That's where we share arrows. That's something that I say on my show a lot, whether it's Jack Phillips in Colorado or whether it's someone in your congregation, when someone takes these shots rather than other Christians sitting down and saying, Ooh, I'm glad that's not me. I'll never say something like that now. Mm. Ooh, I'm so glad that I'm not the target of bullying. No, we all need to stand up and say, you know what? Me too. Me too. I believe that too. And if you're going to launch arrows at him, like you can send them my way too. I'll share them. And I think that's part of what we have to do as the body of Christ. And I mean, it is, I am so glad for your testimony, but I am, you know, it's a bummer because you are the kind of guy that we want in our police departments. And if this happens across the country, then we are missing out on uh, a lot of good law enforcement at a time when law enforcement is so heavily criticized and we keep hearing how they lack compassion, how they lack love and how they lack, you know, work ethic or whatever. You're saying that we're going to fire the very people that are demonstrating these characteristics that we want in law enforcement. That's just really sad. And also just like a word to supervisors and bosses, like the people who who give anonymous complaints, they're not the boss of you. They're not in charge of you. You do not have to listen to people who whine about their feelings being heard about something that someone who works for you said. You don't have to say yes to them. You don't have to fire the person because someone's feelings are hurt. You don't. You can just say no to them and move on. 
So that's just what I wanted to say. Um, do you have any final final words for us? Well, you know, a lot of people have asked me what's happened to the First Amendment. Yeah. And and I say, well, what's happened to the First Amendment is we the people haven't stood up for it. You know, I think as believers, as Christians, we're told to be good stewards of what God has given us. And he's placed us in a nation with these amazing freedoms. And if we just stand around and say, oh, well, this is a cool little talent God gave me. I'm going to bury it in the dirt and just wait for him to come back. We're going to be the unfaithful servant he's not happy with. We're called to be good stewards of what God has given us. And and I, I think part of that is standing for our First Amendment right while we have it to say, hey, God has given us these freedoms. These are freedoms from God. We can practice our religion freely, openly, and we, we should not be driven out of the public sphere. So we the people have to stand up. Yeah. Um, my final words of encouragement to, to fellow believers is just pray without ceasing and ask God for opportunities to help you be bold and show love all at the same time. You don't have to have either or. You can have both and and we need to pray for opportunities to be bold, especially when Satan is right in our face all the time with the music we hear on the radio, with the things we see on TV, TV with the things our kids are learning at school. You go out on town and you, you just hear it over and over and over and over again, these lies and the, the deception from Satan, our enemy. He's fighting a spiritual battle, and we need to get off our cruise ship, and we need to board the battleship and start fighting for God's worth. God's word and God's truth, because in the end, that's what wins. And we, we need to, to realize that and live as if that is the case. Yeah. And so be bold, be loving, and uh, just know that God is going to win in the end. You, you've read the end of the book. Yeah, yeah. Yes and amen. And even though the persecution here doesn't look like it does in the Middle East, we're not saying that it that it does. You mentioned that earlier. Every single sacrifice made, every single degree of hardship endured for the sake of Christ and for the truth of God's word counts for something. It builds up an eternal glory that far outweighs any trial or tribulation that Mm. we endure today. So that is comfort that this counts for something. It counts for eternity and it gives God eternal pleasure when his people obey him even in seemingly small ways. So thank you for doing that. And thanks for using this just tough opportunity or tough situation as an opportunity to share the gospel. You have a podcast, correct? Yes, I've had a podcast for about seven years. It's called the uh, Jacob Kersey Program. And and what we do is we offer um, expert analysis and great perspective um, about issues facing the the church and the conservative movement, like things like this. I've talked about it in years past on this show, um, and unfortunately it came knocking right on my door. Um, but we do that. We have great guests on, uh, whether it's politicians, actors, journalists, TV hosts, faith leaders, um, just people who know what they're talking about. Come yeah. on the show. We ask questions, have great conversations, and you can find that pretty much wherever you get podcasts. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jacob. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thank you, Ali. Thank you.